Thank you, Macy, James. Y'all give it up for these who've led worship once again this morning. Thank you guys so much. And uh, three services is a lot to ask from them. They just keep giving, and I appreciate it big time. Psalm 119 in your Bible. I've got a brand new friend this week. It's the author of Psalm 119. You ever had a friend you just want to hang out with? Uh, this really has become my friend. Man, I've enjoyed hanging out with uh, the author. What's unique, though, is that we don't know who the author is. There's a lot of commentaries out there that speculate who the author might be. But the reality is we're not going to spend time on that speculation. But this author has encouraged me greatly in my walk with the Lord. One, because he has this unwavering passion for God. I mean, there is nothing that's holding him back. He's crying out to the Lord in one moment. He is reading the law of God in the next. He's just so passionate about God. But I also find that this particular author, my friend, actually has an unstoppable devotion to God's Word. And really, that's been the whole point of this entire message series, is to encourage you to increase your devotion to the Scripture. And that's what he's doing to me, man. He's really challenging me just to do that. It's like when you read through Psalm 119 and you're hanging out with him, you can almost sense that he is hanging on to every single word coming from the Lord. Just hanging. Man, I love that picture. But this morning, we're going to see something else that I believe will encourage you as it has me. We're going to elevate the patience of the psalmist. Now, whenever I mention patience here, I'm talking about patience that endures in the midst of affliction. Uh, remember last week, we talked about three ways that you can undergo affliction. You can undergo affliction by way of verbal attacks. So people may say things about you that are untrue. They may lie about you or start gossip rings about you. So that's an attack. You also can go through... Physical misery, that can be another kind of attack. Those of Israel faced that many times in the Old Testament. And then we also highlighted the fact that you can undergo satanic attacks, where the enemy actually would uh, trap or encourage or entice your mind to doubt the Word of God. So all of these attacks, but we're going to see the psalmist is facing a verbal attack, and yet he remains faithful through the entire thing. He remains patient upon the Lord. Now, whenever I mention patience, this isn't the natural kind of patience that any old person can experience. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not talking about the kind of patience that someone might have standing at the DMV line trying to get their license renewed. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody can express patience without losing their temper. This kind of patience is not natural. It is supernatural. As I studied that word patience, I found in the Bible dictionary a great definition for it. Just listen to this. Biblical patience is a God-exercised or God-given restraint in the face of opposition or oppression. I like this part. It's not passivity. The initiative lies with God's love or the Christians in meeting wrong with patience. See, whenever you are patient, you are holed up by the grace of God under the pressure of the affliction which God himself sovereignly allows. Now think about it this morning, God is indeed sovereign. He uses the furnace of affliction in your life and my life to grow us in our faith. So the same God who allows the fires of affliction to come upon you is the same God who also pours out the necessary patience that you must have in order to endure it. But this patience that you receive actually comes for the follower of Jesus Christ from the Holy Spirit. See, at the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is indeed patience. 
And as you submit to the Holy Spirit in your life, even in the midst of great turmoil, trial, and affliction, he will bear that fruit of patience in your life so that you are able to stand. Now, the psalmist experiences a supernatural patience. So we're going to see that together this morning and ask the question of the text, how can patience work for you? And listen, I believe probably every single person in here is experiencing some type of affliction, some type of trial, some type of turmoil in your life. So there's not one single soul in the room today that can't take something away from what the psalmist will teach us today. So in your Bible, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 73, why don't you stand with me in honor of God's word today? And you've got it there in front of you, say yes. Psalm 119, verse 73, your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness come for me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie. But I shall meditate on your precepts. And may those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. And may my heart be blameless in your statutes, so that I will not be ashamed. Verse 81, my soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word, which I say, when will you comfort me? Though I become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pits for me, men who are not in accordance with your law. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. They almost destroyed me on the earth. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts, the wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Let's bow together. Father, we ask this morning that you would bless the reading of your word as well as the preaching. And God, a room this size, this is a very pastoral message. I know that there are people present who have been wounded by affliction. There are those who are emotionally distraught, discouraged, downtrodden. And God, nothing that I can say in and of the flesh will make any difference whatsoever. So in a day where culture continues to try to tell us how to live, tell us how to think, and Encourage us to look for comfort in so many different directions. We thank you that we have opened up the word of life today. That you will speak to every hurting heart. And you will prepare even those who are not hurting for the day when they will be hurting. All of us face affliction. None of us are immune to it. So help us in the midst 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that patience may empower us to endure under some of the most heaviest of circumstances. And God, we also pray this morning that you would fill with the Spirit and grant me the ability and clarity to deliver the word the way you so desire. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, you'd be seated. How does patience work for you? I've heard it said before, never pray for patience, God will give you some. That's interesting, isn't it? But when we consider patience, we often think patience is just kind of sitting around doing nothing. But what we discover together today is that patience is actually working on your behalf. It is a fruit that bears great things in your life. So let's talk about that this morning, how patience actually works for you. We're going to see three ways this morning because I'm a good preacher with three points. Y'all with me on that? So here goes the first way that patience will work for you in your life. Patience makes room for God to work. Patience makes room for God to work. You know, whenever we face affliction in our life selfishly, we're always impatient. We know we're impatient whenever we're trying to get out from underneath the affliction which God has allowed to touch our life. And the affliction that we're talking about, by the way, just so we are all clear, is the affliction that a person receives when they are seeking to walk in obedience to the Lord. This affliction is much different than the affliction of consequence that you receive by walking outside of God's will. So the psalmist is an individual who's walking with the Lord and he's being afflicted. You may very well be the same. Seeking to walk with the Lord, but affliction comes. But if you aren't careful, you'll act in the flesh. You'll act as a natural man who does not know the Lord, and you'll be impatient. And you know you're impatient whenever you make decisions using your own perceived intelligence. You know you're impatient whenever you fail to see how God wants to use you in the midst of the affliction. You know that you're being impatient if you disregard the affection of the Lord towards you in the midst of the trial. You know you're being impatient if you seek to carry out your own form of justice toward those who have wronged you in the conflict. In short, impatience does not make room for the Lord to work. Impatience is a natural man trying to get out from under an affliction which God himself has allowed. And we could ask, how does patience make room for the Lord to work? And this is awesome. So I'm going to encourage you to jot some of these down. Patience makes room for his wisdom to be shared. Whenever we are patient, we are in the proper posture to receive wisdom from the Lord. Look at verse 73 of Psalm 119. The psalmist writes, your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. The psalmist understood that it was God who created him even in his mother's womb. I would say it's also God who created you in your mother's womb. So what we know is that God is the manufacturer of our life, and therefore, the one who is the manufacturer understands how this life should operate according to his divine specifications. And so the psalmist is saying, God, you have made me with your own hands. You have given me my brain. Now I need you to make my brain understand your word. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, quote, a car is made to run on gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. The psalmist is asking God for wisdom in the face of his opposition. 
the affliction that he faces, the verbal attacks. And he's asking God to give wisdom. It's the same challenge that we receive in the New Testament from James in chapter 1, where James is actually describing to the church how they should face trials. He says in the midst of trials, listen to this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, what is God's wisdom? God's wisdom really is the ability to see your trial from his divine perspective. When we're patient in the affliction, God shares with us his perspective on the matter. But whenever we're impatient, we crowd out the voice of God and act in the flesh. But when we're patient in the affliction, we are making room for God to share with us his divine wisdom. And how does he do that? He does it through his word. As you and I get into the Word of God, we learn the character and the nature of the Lord. As we learn the character and the nature of the Lord, we understand what He does. We know what He allows. We know how He acts. We know how He works. We understand things from His perspective, even our own trials. And some of you are going through situations now, and you're saying, Lord, why is this? And that is a good prayer. God, why? God is not afraid of your questions. Don't be afraid to bring them to Him. Cry out to the Lord. God, give me wisdom. Let me see what's going on in my life through the affliction from your divine perspective. What are you trying to do in me? But I also tell you that patience not only makes room for wisdom to be shared, but patience makes room for his encouragement to be experienced. His encouragement to be experienced. Now, this is pretty huge, so I need everybody to pay close attention. Are y'all listening? Say yes. The affliction that you and I face as followers of Jesus Christ are not simply designed to shape us into the image of Jesus. Now listen closely there, I chose my words carefully. The affliction that you go through indeed are used by God to shape you into the character and the nature of Jesus Christ your Lord. God is in the process of sanctifying you, molding you just as he is me. So every affliction, the fires that come up melt us away so Christ can be seen in us. But that affliction is not just for you alone. The Bible would teach us that the affliction that you have undergone or you are in is actually for God's people too. Every single one of us. Notice how the psalmist says it in verse 74. He says, may those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. One commentator notes that the psalmist is asking the Lord to, listen to this, quote, He's asking the Lord to make him a fresh proof that God does not forsake his servants. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, though, whenever even people in church, they face affliction in their life, oftentimes they pull away from God's people. When times get heavy and trials are hard, instead of leaning upon God's people, allowing God to use that trial to shape them, and allowing God to use that trial to be an encouragement to other people, they go AWOL disappear. Oftentimes we may have a discussion with them to try to figure out what's going on and they're embarrassed. What will people say? What will people think? What will people do? And that's not the psalmist. The psalmist says, may they look upon me and be glad. That's in the middle of an affliction. That's a trial in his life. He understands that his enduring patience is an example for others to see that will encourage them. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, whenever I consider this, I 
begin immediately to consider all of those who've gone through trials. Many times this occurs in people's life. And think about those that I've ran into, especially overseas, who've gone through great trial for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They pull their shirts up and they have wounds on their back where they've been beaten for their faith. They have scars on their faces and they're smiling, telling me the story of how they've endured with patience. <laughs> I listen to these fellows, I'm so encouraged. Uh, that was the case with those who looked at the psalmist just as I have been hanging out with my bud in Psalm. And as I see him afflicted but remaining patient, man, he encourages the fire out of me. Look at verses 79 through 80. He says, may those who fear you turn to me. Even those who know your testimonies, may my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. The patience of the psalmist in the midst of this verbal attack was making room for God to encourage others with his example. Even Peter tells us this in the first Peter uh, chapter 2 verse 19. This is a message to the church. He says, this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, listen to this, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're suffering unjustly. Maybe there's an affliction that has hit your marriage. Maybe there's an affliction that has hit you even in the context of your workplace. Maybe an affliction right here in the body of Christ. But you're seeking to walk with the Lord and you are receiving unjust suffering. The Bible says that whenever you remain patient upon God, not trying to get out from under it, but allowing God to work, that God will actually use your life as a testimony to other people. So your affliction is not just for you, it's for me too. <laughs> your patience makes room for that kind of encouragement. Let me give you a third way that patience works, all right? Patience makes room for his affection to be enjoyed. Makes room for his affection to be enjoyed. Look at your Bible, 76 and 77. The Bible says, oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. May your compassion come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. Now the word loving kindness speaks of the goodness of God. Here the psalmist is saying he is hoping that God's zeal for that which is right would actually save him from those who are lying about him. Here he's saying, let me sense your loyalty in my life. And then notice the compassion word speaks of a tender affection of love that can be felt. The psalmist is actually asking, and y'all got to listen to this. Man, I've never prayed like this before. I think the Lord's teaching me some stuff here. But the psalmist is actually praying that the Lord would let him feel his affection in the midst of the trial. Let him feel it. Now, this is interesting, right? Because whenever we face trials, uh, I'll just tell you from my perspective, when I face trials, oftentimes I come to God and say, God, I know you're compassionate. God, I know you know what's going on. God, I'm asking you to work. But oftentimes, I separate truth from feeling. God has created all of us to be feeling beings. So feelings are not wrong so long as they are in line with the truth. And what a prayer, right? God, I am facing this affliction right now. And God, I need you to make me be able to feel your love surrounding me. I want to feel it. What a prayer. Some of you have come to church this morning and you're in an affliction and God is waiting for you to ask him to make you feel it, that he's there with you. You know what also this reminds me of, which I really love, is the fact whenever you're in a trial and I'm in a trial, we never go in it alone. The Lord's with us. 
You ever notice, though, whenever you're in a trial or an affliction, sometimes you feel like you're all by yourself on an island somewhere? Maybe your friends seem to have not paid much attention to you. Maybe even some folks at church haven't paid much attention to you. And you're like, I'm over here all by myself. No, you're not. The Lord's with you. <laughs> Make me feel. I can get down with that prayer. Y'all all right? I can tell that message some of y'all love. You'll be okay. Patience. Let me, let me give you another one. All right? Patience makes room for his justice to be revealed. Makes room for his justice to be revealed. I love this. Verse 78. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on your precepts. Now, this is not a depiction of the psalmist fighting against those who have falsely accused him. If he took the battle himself, he would be exercising his mere ego instead of trusting in God. Instead, here he is praying that God would administer justice. He's like, may they be ashamed. Now, the Bible says that he was subverted with a lie. It's a pretty cool word, subvert. We don't use that very often, at least I don't. But it literally means to undermine a person's influence. So the psalmist is saying, they are out there telling this lie about me that is undermining my influence for your namesake, Lord. And then he's praying it like this. Humiliate them. Dog, that I really messed y'all up. That, that's, that's what he's getting. May they be ashamed. It's a word that means humiliation. And what he's doing here is he is saying, Lord, I'm not going to try to administer justice. You are right and true. You lay it down. And may the truth come to the surface. And may the lie crawl under a bush somewhere. What an awesome concept here. I love this. You know, whenever you and I are in affliction, especially if it comes from someone else, whether it's something that somebody has said or something that somebody has done, listen closely to the preacher. Are y'all listening? Yes. Oftentimes, we want to come back with a vengeful, just wrath towards those people. Don't we? He said this. Here's what I said. She did this. Here's what I'm going to do. We get so fired up about it, we want to exercise anger and just towards those individuals. The psalmist says, don't do it. The psalmist says, right here I am. May they be ashamed. I'm waiting on your just nature. Listen, whenever you act out of impatience towards somebody who is afflicting you or somebody who said something about you or somebody who's been mean to you or whatever the case may be, when you act out of impatience, you always act out of the flesh and anger shows up and listen, and God's not glorified. But when we're patient, guess who gets the final word? The Lord. Now, if y'all was out there listening, y'all probably would have said amen on that. I'm going to give y'all a running start. When we're patient, guess who gets the final word? The Lord. That's true. My, how we need patience in our current day. That's the opposite of what culture tells us to do. Culture tells us to get mine, get even, get back. Do what you got to do to prove yourself. Not here, man. Psalmist, my buddy says, just hang out. The Lord sees. Isn't that good? He's just. 
Patience makes room for God to work. Let me tell you another way that patience works, and I love this one. Patience cries out to God. This is verses 81 through 88. Now, these following verses of Scripture disclose to us the feelings of the psalmist. No doubt he's seeking to be patient under the affliction which is his. But I want you to know that patience doesn't mean you're crawled up in a room somewhere, quiet, doing nothing. Patience cries out to the Lord. And I love the transparency of the psalmist. We're fixing to see it here in just a moment, how he really feels about his situation. Can I tell you, eyeball to eyeball, everybody look at me? Uh, God is not intimidated by how you feel about your situation. If you want to tell him, tell him. He can handle your feeling. He can handle your pouting. Uh-oh. He can handle it. He handled the psalmist. I kind of wrote it down in six statements that I prayed before to the Lord that I sensed that's exactly what the psalmist was praying. So let me, let me give you these statements. I'm at the end of my rope. That's the prayer. You're afflicted like, Lord, this is it. I'm hanging out here. This is it. End of my rope. Look at verse 81. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. The psalmist is like, my soul's just about to disappear. I need you to save me from this affliction. So he is patiently waiting upon the Lord. Here's another way that I pray. Not only have I prayed, I'm at the end of my road, but I pray like this. I'm not looking anywhere else for comfort. Nobody else has any. I, I'm not looking anywhere else for comfort. Verse 82, my eyes fail with longing for your word. While I say, when will you comfort me? The psalmist is almost reminding the Lord here. Uh, He's not trying to find comfort from somebody else or something else. His eyes are about to fall out of his head while he's looking for a word from God. What patience here. When are you going to comfort me? So by the way, I was just adding here, when he faced an affliction, he went to the Lord for comfort. All right? When you face an affliction in your marriage, you don't go find somebody else for comfort. When you face an affliction in your workplace... You don't go home that night and find the bottom of a bottle to take the edge off. That ain't comfort. Comfort comes from the Lord. And if you're trying to find it anywhere else, you're missing out on what God has for you. Not looking anywhere else for comfort. Here, here's another way I prayed. I feel absolutely useless, Lord. Useless. Y'all ever prayed like that before? Don't leave me hanging up here by myself, all right? Useless. I just feel useless. Check out verse 83 in your Bible. Though I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your statutes. Hey, let's go on a trip together for a second. Y'all hop in the truck with me? Y'all in there with me? Out up here. Shotgun. Are you with me? All right. God bless you. I'm going to cruise over to uh, some villages in Africa. How about we hang out in Ethiopia? I've been there several times. I like that place. And we cruise down some of those villages outside of Addis Ababa, which is the main capital city, where they live a little bit nicer than they do up in the country. Out in the country, their houses are much different than they are our houses. They're not 1,500 square foot by any stretch of the imagination. Instead, they are about the size of a walk-in closet in our modern-day homes. The walls are made of mud and straw. They're up to about my eyeballs, about six foot tall. And then on top of the walls, they construct a uh, lattice, uh, ceiling and roof made of straw and lattice there it is and then there's typically a little hole in the top of that particular hut remember driving past one on one occasion and smoke was billowing up coming from outside the very 
short front door and out the top of that hut. Now I remember telling our guide, let's pull over and see what's up. I think that hut's burning down. We might be able to help. And we got out and we went to that place and it wasn't on fire. It's the actual place where they cook also. So we ducked down and walked through that particular door that particular morning and there were about four or five people gathered in a very small place around a very small fire which had a flat metal pan where they were cooking something on it which I was praying they would not ask me if I wanted. <laughs> but I realized something I was standing there, the smoke was just filling the entire room, man, it was amazing. It was going up through the ceiling, man, the smoke was in my eyes. I walked out of that particular hut and you could smell the smoke on me. It's the same exact kind of cooking that they had in the days of the psalmist. They would have a room that was made where they would cook and smoke would come up, but inside this room on the ceiling they would have hanging wine skins. That's where they would place their wine in those skins, and as the smoke would go up and hit those wine skins, it actually would begin to destroy the outer casing. It would crackle and it would fade, and eventually it would be useless. Y'all with me? Now here's the picture, because it's awesome. God, by his divine, sovereign hand, has allowed affliction to come into your life just as he has mine, and it's like a fire right in the midst. And the smoke is coming up from the affliction, and the smoke begins to hit us in the face. We smell like it, and we get to a point where we feel personally like we are cracking, where we are wasting away. That's how the psalmist felt, like an old wineskin. Lord, I feel so useless. And how often you feel this way, and I, when we face affliction. Look at the next statement. I, he prays it like this, and I prayed this before, Lord, I, I don't want you to forget what's happening to me. In verse 85, the arrogant have dug pits for me, men who are not in accordance with your law, 87, they almost destroyed me on earth. I like that right there when he says on earth, as if the Lord may have forgotten where he lived. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Now think about it, all right? I'm going to try to give the whole imagery to you. You're sitting in that smoke. That fire of affliction is causing you to say, Lord, I'm useless. And you get to a point just like the psalmist, maybe you're sitting down on the floor, your hands are in your lap, your eyes are up towards heaven, you're like, God, I'm down here on the earth, right here. Did you forget? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see the smoke? You're like, pray that way? Psalmist did. Y'all want me to give you the next part of the prayer? I need your help now. <laughs> now, check out. Here, here, Y'all with me right here? I'll see you. Here I am. Lord, don't forget. I'm down here on the earth. I know you're up there in heaven and all, but don't forget me. I need some help. Look, look at how he prays in verse 86. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted with me a lie. Help me. That's how we feel, isn't it, in affliction? Now, I love this fact, too. Please listen, man. I don't know if I can stress this enough in this message. Quit trying to get yourself out from under the affliction with your own perceived intelligence and what you think you ought to do. Patience. God help me. 
The one who allowed the affliction is the same one who will empower you to be patient and ultimately will save you. And then I'll throw this one out here for you, the sixth little prayer that I prayed before. Y'all all right with telling y'all that I prayed these things before? Y'all all right with that, aren't you? I mean, it's, I've already preached it now. It don't matter. It don't matter. You ever prayed like this, Lord? I need to know you love me. That almost sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's like, look to the cross. You can see the love there. There is absolutely no doubt. But aren't there times in affliction where you just cry out to God and say, Lord, I just need to know you love me. Verse 88, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. So the psalmist has to be brought back alive by God's love so that he can be obedient to the word. And that's what we see, right? And then verse 82, he's like, when are you going to show up, Lord? Verse 84, when are you going to set the record straight? Patience, cry, I love it, man. Patience isn't just sitting around going, I don't know what's going on. No, patience is crying out to God. Let me give you all the, the third statement here. I got to go quick. Or y'all might have to stand in line behind the Methodist. Y'all all right? <laughs> patience is supported by God's word. Supported by God's word. Verse 89 through 96 this is awesome. After the crying out of the psalmist, I mean, you can almost hear his heart beating in that past stanza. But here we seem that he begins to chill out a little bit, focusing on the faithfulness of God. Verse 89 through 91, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth. And it stands this day according to your ordinances, for all things are your servants. Everybody look at me because this is awesome, right? So I hear you, Lord, don't forgive me, need some help, help me, help me, help me. And then God and his word begins to bolster his patience. He's like, Lord, your word is holding the earth in the orbit. Think about that, right? Uh, they tell us that if the earth tilted a little bit closer to the sun, we'd all fry, burn up. If it tilted a little further away from the sun, we'd all freeze. So it's almost like the, the psalmist is making a comparison here. And follow me with this. Lord, your word is faithful and true. And right now, God, your word is actually holding the earth in the perfect position to sustain life. And God, if your word can hold up this massive globe... I'm going to trust that your word can hold up little old me. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. The psalmist is acknowledging the fact that what kept him from giving up on God was God's word. That is what supported his patience and buoyed him up in the time of affliction was the word of God. Verse 93 through 95, I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am yours. Save me. And I love that, right? He saved me. He's like, save me from this affliction. He says, I've sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. Now look at the preacher. Eyeball to eyeball. This is huge. Are y'all paying attention? Say yeah. This is the end, all right? Listen. 
When you hit affliction and somebody's out there talking junk about you or physical misery comes upon you to cause you to begin to wonder whether or not God loves you and, uh, or maybe a satanic attack comes and you begin to doubt God's word, here, here's what is phenomenal here in the text. The psalmist is being talked about by other people. Guess what he's not allowing to take up the mental capacity of his mind? Here's what he's not allowing to do. it. He's not allowing what people are saying about him to be entertained at the table of his brain. In other words, he's not sitting around going, I wonder what she's thinking, I wonder what he's thinking, I wonder what they're saying, I wonder what they're thinking. He's not meditating on that. What is he meditating on? Somebody say it out loud. Yeah, God's Word. So it's like this. He's saying, I'm allowing God's Word to take up mental space in my mind. It's like God's Word is getting on the treadmill of my brain and running over and over and over and over again. And I'm trusting in the Word. And as he does that, he has an endless supply of patience that makes him stand when he and the natural would always fall. That's preaching. Whether y'all came to church or not, I don't know about that, but that's preaching, man. Golly, that's awesome text. Verse 96, I've seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. This means the psalmist has seen a complete totality in the perfection of God's divine word. And what an amazing reality. The psalmist is magnifying the fact that all he needs for life is found in the sufficiency of Scripture. It's the word of God that actually supported his patience, and it is the word of God that actually supports our patience. Hey, what affliction you got going on in your life? What's going down? What's your issue? What's your trial? The verbal attacks, seeking to undermine your influence, physical misery, begging you to give up on God. My father shared his testimony on one occasion. I had the opportunity to hear, and he has rheumatoid arthritis. If you've seen him here at church before, notice his hands there uh, pretty messed up because of this disease. And I remember when he shared his testimony, he actually turned to Psalm 119 and read the text where the psalmist said, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your word. But what does physical misery do? Physical misery begs you to give up on God. Are some of you experiencing that? Satanic attacks invite you to doubt the Lord. Some of you perhaps are doing just that. And man, my prayer has been, this is probably one of the most pastoral sermons I've ever preached in my life, but my prayer for you this week and even this morning is that God would grant you by His Spirit patience to endure. Patience to make room for God to work. Patience that would cry out to God. Like, I want to see people waiting on the Lord with their mouth open. <laughs> that I prayed that God would give patience that is supported by your intake of his divine word. And guess what, man? Check it, check it, check it. His word is never empty. Never. Let's bow together. Father, put your hand upon those who are present today. Even more so those who are in the middle of an affliction, which they perhaps have tried to get out of or avoid or whatever the case is. God, I pray this morning you've used your word to speak to their hearts. 
Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Nobody is wandering in their mind, but right now full attention. Listen, you may be here today and you're like, that makes sense what you're saying, but I, I don't know the Lord yet. Listen, listen, you can't apply anything that I just preached if you don't know Jesus. It's massively important. Listen, the Bible teaches God loves you. He really does. I mean, he's got this infinite, unconditional love for you, and he created you to know him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him. But what separates you from God is the same thing that separated me. It's sin. All of us are born into our sin. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. We sinned against a holy God. Our conscience bears witness to that. We know that we have done wrong. We are guilty. And the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And the payment that we're going to receive for all of our sin is separation from God forever in hell. But God so loves you, the Bible says that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son. And Jesus came and he did what we couldn't do. He lived a sinless life. Jesus went and laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Jesus died to pay for the penalty of our sin. He died for us in our place. He didn't deserve death. He was without sin. And yet he died. And God treated Jesus on the cross as if he committed all of our sin. He was buried and resurrected. And now the Bible says, turn from your sin and trust Christ. And some of you have come to church this morning, but you've not done that yet. Man, I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning to make that decision. So right where you are, just pray something like this. If you need to know Jesus, just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved. And so this morning I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. And thank you for getting him up from the dead. Today I'm turning from my old way of thinking and living. Today I'm placing my trust in you. I want to follow you.